0: Selling is a fact of life. Every business, every entrepreneur sells. doesn't matter if you have that in your title. If you're a business owner, if you're the founder of a company, there's a really good chance you're the top salesperson. You're the VP of sales. How do you make time to act like a salesperson when you need to be a salesperson? How do you prospect? How do you set goals? In this episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast, I speak with a sales trainer. I speak with Jim Brown of Sales Tuners and we talk all about how entrepreneurs can tackle the sales aspect of being an entrepreneur. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jance. and my guest today is Jim Brown. He is the founder and host of Sales Tuners, does a bit of sales training and teaching of sales techniques, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So, Jim, thanks for joining me.
1: John, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: So, I'm going to ask you to actually... Um, and you do this a lot, I know, because I've read some of your material about this. But, um, you know, most of my listeners pro- are, are, are not, you know, bag-carrying, quota-crushing salespeople. You know, they, they are people for whom sales is a very, very, very important part of their survival, but they also do everything else. So think about kind of the, the talking about sales in the context of the non-sales salesperson. Does that make sense? Totally. Yep. (laughs) So, if, if, so I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions about, you know, how should they do X? I have a, in fact, I have a whole network of consultants who, you know, their very survival really is a lot about their ability to sell, um, you know, on one hand, but they don't think in terms of prospecting and setting sales goals and things the way that I think they should. So, tell me a little bit, you know, in that context, you know, how should these, part-time salespeople, I'm trying to come up with the right term for them, Um, think about setting goals for sales.
1: Yeah, I I do. I think we're all in sales, John, and it doesn't matter if we're uh a quota carrying, bag carrying, you know, member of a sales team, yeah. uh, or we're the owner of a small business, uh, right. or honestly, even something else, we are all in sales. And so I think that when you start to look at the goals that you have in front of you, you got to break those down into the the actual steps that you can get to, you can uh, use to get there. I think even if you are a full time salesperson, you get a big quota, you know, you have to do a million dollars a year worth of sales. Well, it's very hard to go from zero to a million dollars. And you definitely can't do it in one day. So what are those incremental steps? steps. So that's where I think, you know, whether you call it the, I just call it entrepreneur, right? So if you're just an entrepreneur, not necessarily a salesperson, you're just an entrepreneur, you still got to break down those goals the same way, in my opinion.
0: So I know one of the, the tricks for any salesperson. So anybody selling is getting in front of the right prospects or, you know, having the right conversations. What's, You know, and unfortunately, for a lot of people that don't consider themselves salespeople, a lot of it's like anybody who says they need this, you know, and wants me to come talk to them, I'll come talk to them. So, how do you make sure you're getting in front of the right prospects?
1: It's funny. One of the things that I do with a lot of the people I work with is uh, I call it the divine inventory. It's an evaluation to look at the 33 behaviors that make up the core competencies of a successful salesperson. Now, again, this is very sales focused and driven, but one of the behaviors and competencies that are in here is travel willingness. And as a sales coach, I don't want a salesperson to have a high travel willingness. And what that means is, and I'm just going to give a hypothetical, right? But someone calls you up tomorrow, John, and then says, Hey, I need you in Cleveland. Can you come out? Uh, a person with a high travel willingness would be like, yep, I'll be there. already booked my ticket. Can't wait to see it. A person with a zero travel willingness would be like, uh, no, there's no way I'm coming to Cleveland. Why would I even do that? Right. And, and, and neither one of those are good. But what I want is someone to just take a step back and say, hold up. I would might be happy to come to Cleveland, but can you tell me why I'm doing it? Right. <laughs> can, can, can you tell me what's going to happen when I get there, right? Just have a little bit of a, a, a mystique to just understand the context of what's going on. So when you talk about trying to identify the right person, I don't want to meet with everybody. I don't want to talk with everybody. So in order for you to de- determine who your you know, target prospect is or the target person you need to talk to, I want you to understand why you would tell people no. I literally want you to tell us like, why would I tell this prospect? No. And I want you to be willing to tell that to the prospect. Now, this is where I definitely step aside from a lot of, mo- you know, your typical sales people, because any buyers be like, well, wait a minute, why would you tell me? No, I'm the buyer. But a great salesperson is going to say, hey, here's the reason that I would tell you. No, I've experienced this, this and this. And if I see these things, you're not going to be a good fit for me. So I'm going to tell, you no, and it gives a lot of power, John, to uh, to the to the seller at that point.
0: Yeah, there's. I think there's no question about that. I think a lot of times uh, people are unwilling to ask some of those hard questions because you know they're, they're afraid they're going to kill the deal, mm-hmm. when in fact they probably should kill the deal. If the person doesn't have the budget, the person doesn't have the right attitude about it, the person doesn't even have the right problem <laughs> that you can solve. That's right. Um, it, you should get no, and unfortunately, you know, I think we've all been trained to get yes.
1: Yeah, that I, I'm with you. There's uh, there's so many books out there about how to get to yes. And I do. I'm with you. I want to get to no. I would rather get to no so much faster than ever get to yes. And my whole approach to sales is I'm skeptical that the deal is going to close all the way up to the point there's a contract sign and the check is in my bank account. Yeah. I'm still skeptical that it's actually going to close. So I, I'm with you. I want yeah. that no.
0: I tell people that all the time. You know, they say, oh, I, I you know. I'm really rocking and rolling. I got this business, and I was like, "Have you been paid?"
1: <laughs> that's right. I, what I like, John, is the verbal yeses. I got, I got a verbal
0: yes today. Right. Well, can you go to Roos Chris on a verbal yes? And you know, until you can, get out of here with that. So let me drill into one objection that you know you a lot of times you want to get to know, but you don't want to flat out say, "Can you afford this? You know, do you have right. the budget for this?" But that's what you want to ask. I mean, how, sure. do, you, how do you get around the budget question?
1: Yeah. So the budget step in the sales process for me is one of my favorites because you're right. I, that is one way to do it is that you have budget for this. But there's so many other good ways to do it. Right. And I'll tell a the story with this. So uh, a few years ago, I sold to Claire's, you know, the, the, the <laughs> girls boutique that sells earrings and jewelry and all that kind of stuff. So they're headquartered up in Chicago. And I'm up there, and this is probably our third meeting that I've had with them. And I was selling digital marketing to them at this point. And they said to me, Jim, we we got to have a ballpark here. What is this going to cost us? And I said, guys, that's not where we are yet. I have no idea what this is going gonna, is gonna to cost because I actually don't know what you need. And they said, that's fine, but we have to have some kind of consideration of this. And so I said to them, and we have not talked budget. We've talked not talked numbers at all. I haven't asked them. And I said, okay, look, ballpark numbers, typically when I work with a retailer the size of Claire's, you're looking about $100,000 per category per year. And they said, well, we've got 17 categories. And I didn't say anything. And they start doing the math. 17 like, categories, 100,000. That's $1. $1.7 million. Jim, we don't have $1.7 million in the budget. And I said, that's great. I never asked for $1.7 million. You told me you needed numbers. And I'm giving you a range of what I typically see an e-commerce retailer of your size spend. Now, how, what, how many categories do you want to actually go after? And they said, well, we, we've we got $200,000 to spend. So now I have not asked for budget, yeah. but now they've volunteered it. They told me we only have $200,000. Now, we kept going through this whole process, and we ended up getting to uh, – I, I said, well, which 15 categories do you not want to focus on? And they're like, well, no, no, no. We need more categories than this. But anyway, it ended up being like a $478,000 deal based solely on the bracketing that I gave them up front and told them what I've seen other people like them spend.
0: Right. So, all of a sudden, that was cheap. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so, I, I'll give you a scenario that happens, uh, you know, has happened to me, um, you know, in recent years and to kind of set up this next question. You know, when somebody reaches out to me and says, oh, I read your book, I think you're the greatest, I want you to come do marketing for me, yeah, I'll pay anything. I mean, it doesn't <laughs> always go that way, but, you know, that, that that's one scenario of the inbound. To lead, yeah. Uh, whereas if I target a company, I think, oh, this is a company I'd really like to go after. I pitch them, I t- start telling them stuff. I, you know, I start building a relationship. All of a sudden, it's like, okay, this is great, but uh, why should we hire you instead of somebody else? So, kind of more the inbound versus outbound. Where do you stand on that today?
1: Well, I think you have to do both. Um, You know, and and I'm the type right now that I still make cold calls every single day. Uh, My goal is to make 30 a week and, you know, divided by five days is six. So I have to make six cold calls per day. Mine are obviously very targeted at this point. Um, But I think you have to have both. So I have a podcast myself that gives me a little bit of inbound leads. um, But you do you you truly do have to do both and, and to get the right clients that you want.
0: Well, one of the things that you know, because a lot of people wanna say either or, or one's better than another and actually I think effective I think effective inbound marketing will make your outbound marketing more effective and vice versa. I think a lot of your cold calling that you're doing on people and then and then giving them the opportunity to maybe share content that you've produced mm-hmm. and you know, is probably gonna make your inbound marketing more effective as well.
1: That's right. I tell a lot of people to be careful of those who say you can only do uh, something a certain way. Right. So there are people out there saying that social selling today is the only way that you should be selling. There shouldn't be any cold calls. There shouldn't be any whatever. You should just be social selling. But it's fascinating to me that. I have never actually bought anything from them socially, but yet I get cold calls from their people trying to sell me their social selling product and their social selling work course. I'm like, that's interesting. Why wouldn't I just buy from you socially if that's the only way to do this? So you definitely gotta be careful, John, of of anybody who says there's only one way to do things. But I I completely agree with, with how you position that, is I've noticed that when I'm doing my outbound calls, even if I don't connect with them, even if they don't return my voicemail, I might contact them again in two three months through, you know, they, they've reached out to me on my web forms or via they've heard my podcast or they've done something else with an interaction, and then I'll even remember. Hey, I, I think I called you two three months ago. Yeah, you know, we were really busy. I was really looking forward to talking to you and just didn't get a chance. So when I saw this new, you know, whatever content or came out from you, I knew I had to reach out to you at that point.
0: Well, and I know in my experience, I've gotten cold calls before where maybe somebody's left a message and it sounds interesting. Well, first thing I do is turn to the web and say, "Well, who are these guys?" You know, and and so their inbound presence or at least uh, their you know educational content is uh, is I'm going to be exposed to that because it was there. So, I think they do have to go together. So let's talk about some of the things that uh, that trip salespeople up. I mean, or I should say, non-salespeople up. I mean, most people just hate cold calling. They hate the fear of rejection. They have fear in general around what they think of as selling. How do you overcome that?
1: Well, I don't know that you ever overcome it. Cause look, no one likes cold calling. I don't like cold calling and yet I do it every single day and I'm actually pretty good at it, but I don't enjoy it. Um, we, we do, we're, we're brought up with this sense of, you know, we don't want to be rejected. We want to have, you know, all that kind of stuff. So what I tell people is you have something valuable, That You need to share with other people, right? Think about it this way. I don't know that any of the listeners out there are creating a cure for cancer. Maybe they are and Godspeed to them if they are. But let's assume for a second that you had created the cure for cancer. Who would you call on and tell them that you had the cure? Everyone, right? Right. Like you, you would not let anyone stop you from getting to every single person that's ever been affected by this ridiculous disease. You would make sure they knew. So now granted your product and service is probably not that revolutionary, but you have something of value that you're trying to offer to someone that you think has that need. You owe it to not only yourself, but to them to at least expose them to it and have a conversation about whether or not it makes sense to go any further. I think you owe it to both
0: parties. All right. So let's uh, go with the next one then. And these go hand in hand. Um, you know, price. I mean, how do you get the posture to say, no, dang it, this is what I charge. And I'm not going to look at my shoes when I tell you <laughs> what I charge. Um, and I'm not going to get beat down over price. And I'm not going to, you know, cave the first time somebody says, can I get a deal? I mean, how do you get that posture?
1: Well, this uh, honestly goes back to being a kid again is we grow up with money weaknesses, right? So I don't know about you, but in my household, you didn't talk about money in that house. and You definitely didn't ask your mom and dad how much money they made. And I think that's just a terrible existence in all honesty. I I talk openly with my son who's only four at this point about money and what it means because I want to get that ingrained in him. And so when I take a look back that, you know, I grew up in a very poor household, John. And, uh, you know, $1,000 was a tremendous amount of money to me. And I remember starting my first business. And getting my first thousand dollar sale and to me that was a lot of money And I didn't realize it at the time it still took me a while But what I realized was the company that I sold that to for them a thousand dollars was not a lot of money They were in a different position completely I fast-forward to like my next company, right? So the first company thousand dollar sale was my largest Uh, the next company I go to my first sale was $5,000 my first sale this is now this it's blowing my mind. This is a lot of money Fast forward and now the next deal that I do is like $10,000 a month, right? So now it's a $120,000 deal and I've now gone all the way up. The largest sale that I've done is a $1.2 million deal, right? Two commas. And what I had to realize is I can't let people buy with my wallet. Mm-hmm. I can't expect them to buy with my wallet. So $1.2 million, it happened to be Sears again in, in Chicago. Chicago used to be one of my, my biggest territories that I sold into, but I sold to Sears and $1.2 million, while still a ridiculous amount of money for me and most people, was a rounding error to Sears, yes. right? And so as we start to think about this, how we get over that, how do we not get beat down on prices, we need to show the value. And I don't mean justify your value. What I mean is you got to get the person you're talking to to understand what that value is. One of the ways that I like to do that, John, is to understand the gap between where they are, status quo, and where they want to be. So let me give you an example. I I sell sales training. It's what I do. So uh, not too long ago I was with a company. We went through the discovery process. They illustrated that they had a $1.4 million gap in sales from where they were today for what they told their investors they were going to hit to where they needed to be by the end of the year. Again, it was a few months ago. And I said to me, okay, wow, $1.4 million, million that's, that, that's a lot of money. And they're like, eh, it's not that much, but it is something we need to overcome. I said, okay, well, let's assume that we can fix this. And whatever solution we put in place will fix your $1.4 million shortfall. What's that worth to you? What would you be willing to pay for that? And they kind of hem and hawed a little bit, John, and they said, you know, honestly, we'd be willing to pay $150,000 for a solution like that. And I'm going into my head. I had already, you got to have this. You got to have your baseline. You got to know where you sit. My number for them was going to be $45,000 now. I didn't want to reveal that to them. But after they said $100,000 to $150,000, I said, well, guys, here's the thing. I got two responses to that. First off, this has been a problem for three years for you guys. You've done nothing to convince me that you're actually willing to make any investment in fixing your problem, (laughs) right? Put them on the edge a little bit. And then I said, but here's the good news. If you choose to, which again, I'm not certain you're going to. My solution isn't going to be a hundred or one hundred fifty thousand dollars. In fact, it's only eighty thousand dollars, <laughs> right? Which was 35000 dollars more than I was going to charge. And they're like, again, they anchored themselves high, and they're like, oh my gosh, yeah, we can do this. I we're in for that. So,
0: you, you know, the other thing I love about because I use that approach all the time as well is to get them to see what it would be worth. I mean, we talk about customer lifetime value and you know all those things where it's like, okay, my marketing is going to bring you X new customers, but that's going to mean X revenue. What would that mean if you had that? And, and what it it also does in my mind, at least, or in the client's mind too, is, is it gets them thinking about I'm no longer a cost. I'm a, an investment to get to where they want to go.
1: That's right. And, it, and it's all based around value at this point. Yep. And again, you could even – one of the things that I want to make sure that we, we talk about as well is like you also have to connect with them on a personal basis, right? So mm-hmm. we're talking right now all about the – the intellectual sale about the business and the ROI, right? But what I have found, John, is that people don't buy intellectually. They buy emotionally and rationalize after the fact. So when you start talking about what would this be worth to you, start talking in terms of, well, you know, could you buy that new car? Could you get the promotion? Could you, what could you personally do if you hit this goal that you've set for yourself? And then you start tying the value to that as well. And all of a sudden they're moving mountains to get you into their company.
0: Well, I'll tell you the other thing having those conversations will do. I've found is a lot of times uh, you will actually uncover things that you weren't expecting. I mean, a lot of times I just assume that they want X in sales or X in growth and, Maybe what they want is less chaos. <laughs> and yeah. uh, so so you, I don't think you can ever assume the value, you know, based on what you think they're trying to accomplish. And so if you're not asking those questions, you're, you may be selling to the wrong thing.
1: You totally are. And, and so I don't want my salespeople to have any assumptions, right? Even if they know the answer. So, for instance, I got a client who sells to car dealerships, right? So they've done all this research. They know that on average, a brand new car will net a $5,000 gross profit margin, right? So they know this. They know that data. And so they've just been calling and hammering people on the phone and telling them, hey, I know that when you sell a car, you make $5,000. So if I can just help you sell one more car, this is worth it, right? Instead of you telling them the data you know, get them to reveal that data to you, right? And so if you start to ask and say, gosh, you know, like you guys probably sell a lot of cars. Hey, when you sell a car. Like, what's that? What's that even worth to you, right? You're, you're kind of playing the role of a dummy on purpose. But when they tell you, well, you know, when we sell a car, we make about $5,000 on it. Once they've done that, they've said it in their words, they can't take it back anymore. Mm. But if you just give them the information, they can tell you you're wrong
0: all day long. Yeah. All right, last uh, objection that that I hear all the time because again, most of the folks that I'm working with are juggling a lot of balls, not just full-time sales. So, how do you manage time? I mean, how do you carve out time to do prospecting every day, cold calling every day, you know, proposals every day? This
1: is it goes back to, I think, your first question. This is where goals come into play. Right. So whatever your goal is. Right. And so, again, I just use it for simple numbers. But let's say you want to do a million dollars in revenue over the next 12 months. It's very hard to go from zero to one million. So you have to understand what are the daily things that I need to be able to do. And so, again, for me, it's literally six cold calls. That's it. I have to do six cold calls a day. It can seem overwhelming if I if I hadn't broken that down into that incremental step. But that's how I do it. If you don't do it, that's where, John, you know, you get into the feast and famine mode. You start to do a couple sales and now you're like, well, I can't do any more sales because I wouldn't be able to deliver on the work. And so you stop selling yeah. because you, you're good. And then all of a sudden, two months later, you have nothing in sales and it's just a roller coaster you don't want to be on.
0: Yeah, i tell you the thing I love about about that idea of keeping it going and having that consistent flow is if you've got more leads than you need or more people that want to hire you, you get to, A, raise your prices and, B, really be selective about who you want to work with. And I think that's a beautiful thing, too.
1: Saying no to people is one of the strongest positions ever for you to be in.
0: Yeah, yeah. No question. People people really want to hire you when you don't want to when you don't want to do business with them. That's right. So tell us a little about sales tuners and how people can get a hold of you and find out about your work, Jim.
1: Yeah, sales sources is, is a couple of things. It's part sales training and coaching and part podcast. So, uh, you know, I'm a master of my or I want to be a master of my craft. So I'm always trying to find the best salespeople out there and interview them about the things that led to their success. So I do a weekly podcast on that for me to learn and I, and I share it with an audience. Uh, and then on this coaching and training side, I work with, you know, small business owners and, and even tech startups about how to get more out of their revenue engine. And, and uh, you know, one of the ways that they can do it, you know, we talked a lot about goal setting today. I've got uh, a roadmap I made available for your guests. dot com slash roadmap. And it's a workbook. Your guys put in some work, but you throw in that end goal of whatever it is you want, a million dollars, a hundred thousand, doesn't matter. And it's going to help you break down the daily things that you're going to have to do to make time in order to get to that end goal.
0: Awesome. And we'll have the uh, link in the show notes for those of you that jump over to duct tape marketing. So Jim, uh, appreciate you uh, showing up and uh, taking the time to uh, share your insights and hopefully we'll run into you out there on the road.
1: I really enjoyed it, John.
0: Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. I wonder if you could do me a favor. Could you leave an honest review on iTunes? Your ratings and reviews really help, and I promise I read each and every one. Thanks.